Thank you, worship team. Beginning of the year, of this year, we, uh, several of you made a commitment. Um, your commitment was to the increase of Christ and your commitment to do everything you could to put Jesus in the spotlight so he would become greater in your life and you'd become less. How you doing? Got your reminder on? All right. Yeah, I see that throughout the community. That's great. Walk by and I see that. Hopefully that's reminding you or hanging from wherever you hang it or wherever you put it. Um, let's just continue to do that. Continue to strive to put Jesus in the spotlight and all that happens, our plans, our words, everything. Um, that's a great commitment, and I, I hope that you're following through on that. Uh, we're kind of getting back to a study. We're going to, a few weeks, we're going to wind this down, but um, we've been studying a life of a man in the Old Testament named Abraham, considered the father of the faith, uh, the great patriarch. And uh, as I, I trust you're learning with me, um, as we've gone through this study, as great as Abraham is, as, as far out of reach as he might seem in his righteousness, we're realizing he's just a man. He's made a lot of mistakes. God's actually left several of those mistakes in his word. So you and I could realize that's not just Abraham's journey. You and I also are called to an amazing journey, and with that journey... It's fraught with a lot of difficulties, a lot of, a lot of victories and joys, um, but also a lot of obstacles, some, some by our own making, unfortunately, um, others because God just wants to stretch us. And so we're learning a lot about that. Um, the reality is after a person trusts Jesus in their life, um, there's new birth. There's growth that takes place. There must be if there's new birth. <laughs> This new, as a new creation in Christ, as a new person, however, we, we realize pretty quickly we're never going to reach this state of complete perfection, not here on earth anyways. Sin continues to stalk us. We struggle with old temptations. We sometimes fall back into the familiar selfish patterns. We return to the sins of our past, and therein lies, I think, one of the most regrettable truths about life. And that is the people of God still struggle to conquer repeated sins. I was sharing with one of my children, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever had a dog, a neighbor dog, or even one of your own. If it was one of your own, it's probably not yours anymore. But where they keep nipping at your heels. You're walking or riding bike, and they're just always nipping at your heels. And doesn't it seem like that's sin sometimes? Especially that one that, that seems to dog us, or that two, that's repeated over and over. It's kind of what we're going to find out in Abraham's life here. We know he's the forerunner of the faith for the rest of us, and his journey of faith, it blazed a trail for all who would follow. And Genesis tells this story for our benefit. Each of our journeys is unique, but I think we're going to find in Abraham's journey, in his story, episodes that resonate with our own. And that includes this continual struggle to rise above old temptations and to conquer repeated sins. Abraham's journey... There, in Abraham's journey, this repeated sin was this overwhelming compulsion for him to lie. It surfaced over and over in his life. When this truth might bring a threat to his life, a situation, he would fall back on this crutch. He'd fall back to this repeated behavior, that of lying. So let's look at Genesis 20. And let's follow this story, this narrative through. 
You might be tempted like me sometimes when you get into these accounts and you see a long name of a, of a king, you're like, okay, I don't, I don't even know how to pronounce that, and so this story must not relate to me. That'd be a big mistake. Let's follow this through. Let's look at the first two verses of chapter 20. Now, Abraham journeyed from there. You might say, well, well, where's that? That was from his vantage point overlooking Sodom. Remember, that's kind of where we left. Horrible situation. But Abraham had been overlooking Sodom and what had happened to Sodom and the destruction. And so he's moving on from there, and that's where we pick up in chapter 20. He journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned to Gerer. And Abraham said of Sarah's wife, she's my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerer, sent and took Sarah. We need to stop there because you might remember 25 years earlier in Genesis 12, before Pharaoh, Abraham was worried about his life. So he said to Pharaoh, she's my sister. In other words, spare my life. You don't have to kill me to take her. And here he's right back. This is deja vu all over again, as Yogi Berra would say. We have this repeated sin. This is this repeated crutch Abraham falls back on. And so he tells this half-truth that Sarah was his sister, leading people to believe she was not his wife. And again, so Pharaoh took Sarah into his harem and really suffered for that decision. And when Pharaoh heard the truth of this matter, Abraham received this lecture of morality from a polytheistic, God-mocking leader. And you would be sure, and I would be sure, that certainly Abraham must have learned his lesson. I mean, compromised his integrity, his testimony, and, and he knew God's disfavor with that. I'm, I'm sure Abraham wouldn't have gone down that road again. Well, he did. And just like Abraham's lie backfired before, it does here again. It's interesting, as you look at the, the two specific difference, uh, different accounts, Genesis 12 almost seems more planned. Like Abraham was kind of planning along that if he ran into this, this almost seems reactive. Like he's just kind of falling back into what he thought worked before or this, this sense of uh, we kind of get to the same thing, this, this kind of situation or we get threatened and we fall right back and we repeat a sin before. It's almost part of our uh, reflection or our reflective uh, nature. But I have a question as I read verses 1 through 2. Why would you leave where he was? Remember the situation. He's about to have the son of promise in less than a year. Why move? Why to Negev? You say, well, where's Negev? Well, Negev, it's probably Abraham didn't realize when he went there, but it's pretty much desert. So we're not surprised he left there. <laughs> he went down there and went, actually, it's not what I was looking for. It's not what the brochure said. You know, so he says, I'm out of here. And so he heads up to more fertile area this fertile plain. It was settled by the Philistines, and they hadn't yet spread as of yet, but certainly it was a potential hostile land, surrounded by people who could do him harm. Sarah, at this point, is 90 years old. But I had to, I wrestled with this question, why would he move? Why? And the only conclusion I could come, which maybe you would kind of come to the same thing, is who would want to continually look on where Sodom was destroyed? I mean, that's a bummer getting up every morning, huh? <laughs> so I'm sure part of him was like, I, I just need to get out of here. This tragic event, this horrible event, I, I just need to get away from it. So we could understand that. And so Sarah's wife's 90. Now, 
25 years er earlier when Pharaoh had taken Sarah into his place palace to be one of his wives, we know that she was considered a knockout at 65. Apparently has, a lot hasn't changed when she's 90 because here Abimelech comes and takes Sarah to be part of his harem. And Abraham slips back again to that old habit of fear, this induced deceit. Character, one person said, is the ability to meet the demands of reality. There's some truth to that. Character is the ability to meet the demands of reality. In other words, when reality, when we, we come face to face with reality, we can handle it in a way which is right, and which is good. But Abraham, he, he didn't rely on God's strength. He didn't rely on God's provision here. You and I need to take that. We are never to rely on our own strength, never to rely on our own uh, crutches or to lean on our own understanding. You and I are called, like Abraham, to trust God instead. In our life's journey, we will all face times where we're tempted to lie, to steal, to cheat, to cut corners instead of trusting God and his timing. We all can develop crutches or, you could say, systems of reactions that undermine God's call to trust and persevere. A couple examples. Tithing. We can look at our budget and say, I just don't, we don't have room to actually tithe. And so we think, you know what, instead of trusting God to provide, we're going to, well, we're going to cut corners. We'll give it when maybe there's an abundance. And so we cheat God. That's really what it is. How about serving the needs of somebody that God places before you? you got a busy schedule. you got kids. you got things to do. And so what do we do? Instead of trusting God to provide, instead of trusting God to give us all we need and to take care of those needs, we turn a cheek. We turn, we turn away from those needs. And so we cut corners. We rely on our own abilities. And so you and I do it all the time. We're faced with temptations to do it. It could be in school. It could be in a work. It could be all kinds of places. You punch the clock and you write down your time and it's pretty easy to say, you know what, they hardly pay me anything anyway, so I'm going to add an hour on it. And so we justify it, we rationalize cutting corners and lying and deceit. But let's look what happens in this account. Let's look at the consequences that come from Abraham's lie. Verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in the dream of the night well, first of all, let me stop. Abimelech is not necessarily a name. It's not like Tom or Dwayne. Abimelech is a title like Pharaoh. Okay, so when you see Abimelech, think in those terms. This isn't really the guy's name. Thank God he's probably thinking. That, that's his title. Okay, and so we got a leader here, Abimelech. And so God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man. Okay, there's a dream we'd rather forget. Because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Now Abimelech had not come near her, and he had said, Lord, will thou slay a nation even though blameless? Verse 5, did he not himself, that be Abraham, say to me, she's my sister? And she her, herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I've done this. And God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of her heart you have done this. And I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. 
and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were greatly frightened. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and my kingdom this great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered that you have done this thing? Abraham said, Because I thought, Surely there's no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, This is the kindness which you will show to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, He's my brother. I mean, Talk about laying the groundwork. Okay, Sarah, wherever we go and it looks like the heat might be turned up, remember, you're not my wife. You're my sister. Because it would be advantageous of us then to lie, to, to enter into deception. Now, this is the first of four instances in Genesis where an outsider receives a dream revelation from God. Each of the dreams is a warning dream. Verse 3 grabs my attention. I'm sure it did Abimelech. You're a dead man. <laughs> Abimelech, like Pharaoh, he didn't believe in the worship of the one true God. But he had the integrity enough to honor, honor another man's marriage. Reminds me, never think a person who doesn't worship God can't have integrity to some degree. Because the reality is whenever we put God's principles to work, they work. God's ways work. And whether it's an unbeliever or a believer, if we tell the truth, if we don't steal, it's to that person's advantage. And that's always the case when we apply God's word. Verse 4 through 6, as you and I read that, to be honest, Abimelech showed more righteous behavior than Abraham. So Abimelech pleads his case with God. Now consider something. This is a pagan, pagan leader. And he's talking with God. That's interesting. I, I find it interesting that God would come to a, a pagan king, a, a, we would say unbelieving king, and dialogue with him. Very interesting. It's what an eye-opener for Abimelech. And while Abraham did not honor God with his actions, the Lord still used this opportunity to touch the heart of this king, Abimelech. Now, verse 7 is intriguing. Now, therefore... Restore the man's wife, for he's a prophet. Now, this is the first time the term prophet is used in Scripture. And it's interesting, it's used about Abraham, and it's used in this situation where he's deceiving a king. Now, we too aren't perfect, and we too often overcome, get overcome by old temptations. We're guilty of faithlessness, but we serve a faithful God whose ways and whose plans will be carried out. He will even use our failures as opportunities to grow us, even involve us in his plan. And the truth is, as Christians, at times we fail to live according to our new nature. We instead fall back on the old nature and those behaviors and those, those responses we had before. And this is what we see Abraham do. His sin didn't make him less God's child. His sin didn't make him any less a prophet, although it was grievous to God, for sure. 
Verse 7 to me is if, if I'm a pagan king and I have this guy lying to me, deceiving me, God showed up in a dream and said, you're a dead man. This guy just lied to you, and whoa, wait a second, I, I didn't know that, he came and lied to me, and God says, yeah, that liar, he's a prophet. What? I mean, can you imagine trying to justify, that's weird. That's a tough uh, connection for him to make, and yet that's exactly what happens. Uh, he surely thought, he's a prophet? This, this man who just told me his wife is his sister, him? He's a prophet? Seriously. Now, we can look at Abraham and, and say, what a jerk. I mean, come on. Let's turn the thing around. Surely we would never do that. Surely nobody could ever say of us, you're a Christian? I mean, I just saw you lie. I just saw you swear up a storm. I just saw you come out of the bar staggering. You're a Christian? Trying to reconcile the relationship with God, and the behavior. Certainly, we would never be guilty of that, right? <laughs> I mean, we, we got to be careful as we jump all over Abraham and realize we're guilty of it too. We've publicly maligned somebody. We've slandered somebody. We've done things that we're not proud of that has a watching world scratching their head saying, that's a Christian? And unfortunately, it's happened so widespread, there's a mistrust of anyone who goes by the term Christian. Now, unfortunately, everybody seems to wear that label. And when I use the term Christian, I'm talking about someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ who loves Jesus. That's how I'm using it the way it's supposed to be used. And so people can look. We can be guilty. People can look and see some... It can be confusing to them, as it was to this king. But God confirmed Abraham as a prophet. In his role of intercession as a prophet... We only need to go back a couple chapters to see Abraham interceding for the people in Sodom. Remember that? He was carrying out his role as prophet. He was an interceder. But Abraham's lies got him into the very situation he tried to avoid. But behind the scenes, God lets us see he supernaturally worked to save Abraham and rescue Sarah. The consequences for sure, God is grieved. The consequences are their pagan king was left to wonder about God's choices and God's ways. This testimony, which is of great value, was treated and viewed as of no value, which is a dangerous thing when we treat the things of God carelessly. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 7. Don't cast your pearls to swine, because what's going to happen? They're going to trample them. Don't cast your testimony to a watching, to a watching world because they'll trample it. They'll treat that which is of value, that which is no value is what they'll treat it. So you, gotta, you and I have to be careful. Lying, deception is sin. And if you and I want to make a, a, a character, a trait of honesty in our life, if we want to build character, make a long habit of honesty. That's how you develop character, with a long habit of doing the right thing. Be truthful in each moment. String moments together that your character will be strengthened. God is more concerned about your character than your comfort. Your next step is Colossians 3.9 to memorize it. Here's what it says. Do not lie to one another since you've laid aside your old nature with its practices. 
The implication Paul's saying is your lie, that's part of the old nature. As a Christian, that's not a part of your life anymore. You deal in honesty. You deal in truthfulness. Abimelech, verse 8, wastes no time in sharing this encounter with God, with them. I'm sorry, sharing his encounter with God, with his people. Look at verse 8. I think this is pretty interesting. Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were greatly frightened. I find it interesting because Abimelech is, he's honest. Seems to be the thing missing from this chapter. He's honest. I mean, as a king, it almost seems humbling for him to come to his people and said, listen, I had this dream and it freaked me out. I mean, it frightened me to my boots. And he's honest with his people. And he tells them this dream and they're all frightened. I appreciate that transparency and honesty from Abimelech. In verse 9 through 10, the Bible shares something significant. The Bible shares something which true of this culture at that time, and is this concept of adultery was a great sin. Abimelech knew it. Abraham's role here is switched from chapter 18. There's really a reversal. In chapter 18, he's the intercessor. Here in chapter 20, he's actually the target. He's guilty. He's the guilty one as opposed to chapter 18 when he prayed for the guilty sodomites and those in Gomorrah as well. Abimelech realizes that in some way this sin is grievous to the point that it could put his people and his kingdom in jeopardy. He seems to understand that an empire can be dismantled because of one's person rebellion against God. That there's consequences when one person opposes God. Look at verse 10. Abimelech said to Abraham, what have you encountered that you've done this thing? What, in other words, the word encounter here is this idea of seeing. What have you seen that you've done this? What did you see in me, in my people, that's caused you to do this? What's going on here? Abraham. Well, because I thought, surely there's no fear of God in this place. They'll kill me. Because of my wife. Abraham's response is pathetic, let's be honest. But at least there's some honesty. The Philistines had many gods. And Abraham's rationalization is something like this. You're an immoral people, so I sinned to protect myself from you. In reality, though, Abimelech, it's just it's kind of only a half sin, really. Because Sarah's actually my half-sister in some roundabout way. So in following God, I had my wife lie to me. You see, it's not really my fault. You're the sinful people. You see kind of what he's, he's really rationalizing. Now, he made a blind assumption about Abimelech, doesn't he? He says, you're, you're an ungodly, immoral people, and I knew you would hurt me. I knew that I would be in trouble because of you. He's making a blind. He didn't know any such thing. Abraham didn't know how these people would respond. He's making a blind assumption about Abimelech. And then he lets his imagination run off. As you see it right here. Because I thought there was the problem. <laughs> Abraham thought and let his imagination run. Now, think about his answer. He justified his actions and I don't know if you pick, he insulted these people. He said, there's no fear of God in this place. They will kill me. 
because of my wife. Abimelech should have been insulted. Although he didn't fear God, here's this guy judging them. And he insulted him. Insulted not only Abimelech, but his people. And then he minimized his sin and explained how the lie would become part of his plan. Seems to have missed how this lie undermined his testimony. I follow God, is what he's saying, but I don't trust him to protect me. So I lied. It's kind of like a shoulder shrug, and it's his, again, it's what he falls back on. It's what he seems to know best to protect himself is lying. But we do it. Let's be honest. We say we follow God, but we don't trust him to provide, so we get buried in debt. We steal. We might lie on our taxes. Some extreme cases, we might have turned to abuse. We might get into an unhealthy relationship with someone because we can't wait or don't think God will provide the right mate. And so we get ahead of God. We follow God, but we don't trust him to satisfy. So we become gluttons. We compromise our purity. And it's so scary to me how rationalizations grow to be so familiar that we become blinded to them and how actually absurd they sound. I wonder if Abraham knew how absurd this sounded. I lied to protect myself because you're bad people. It's kind of what he said. And I wonder if he realized or if Sarah looked at him like, seriously, Abraham, you really think? You know, I don't know. But she joined into it, and this whole lie. And so as we look at this, it's, it's amazing to me. But put yourself in Abimelech's place, verse 13. Came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness which you'll show to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he's my brother. So if you and I are on the throne in Gerar, we have this dream, a scary dream. You're a dead man. Don't touch this woman. Back off, Abimelech. And then he hears this prophet come who's lying, and he gives this weird justification. What would you do? I know what I would do. Get out of town now. You've insulted me. You've lied to me. Now my life's in danger. My kingdom's in danger. All because of you, leave. Right? Anybody else with me? Get out of here. Get out of Dodge. My dad would say, don't let the door hit you in a fanny. Okay? Leave. But let's see what happens. Verse 14 through 18. Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and male and female servants gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. you got to be kidding me. That's, that's a response I wouldn't see coming. And to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you and before all men you are cleared. And Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. This is kind of a 17 and 18. Actually, it should have been earlier in the story. Kind of letting us know what was happening. God had warned Abimelech, and this is what kind of happened to them. But God did, get, did this to deter Abimelech from committing the sin of adultery. And so we kind of get the after effect of what God did. And so we see that Abraham prayed for him. So we see a unique response, verse 14 and verse 15. He takes sheep, oxen, 
Male, female servants gave them to Abraham and restored his wife, Sarah, to him. Man, I, I don't know. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's a pagan king. I, I don't know. I don't know if I could have gone that far. But then I remember in the military, if you think about it, think of the military. An unworthy man can rise through the ranks to achieve a high position. But those under him may not respect him as a man. But what do they respect? The rank. And I think in Abimelech, he might not have respected Abraham, but he respected Abraham's God. And he respected Abraham's rank as a prophet of God. Although I'm sure there was wavering respect for the man, Abraham. And so he saluted the rank, but not the man. Abraham acted in a way unworthy of his God, but Abimelech looked past the man to honor God in Abraham's rank as prophet. And when we see God's people fail to trust him, when we see the sin to protect ourselves or go our own way, we look exactly like an unbelieving world. God shows favor to Abimelech because he recognized God's rank. He extends grace to him. And grace was extended from God to Abimelech, and believe it or not, grace was shown through Abimelech's actions to Abraham. Verse 15, maybe this speaks of my mind sometime. As you and I look at his response, I'm sorry, um, verse 16. Abimelech says to Sarah, behold, I have given your brother. He doesn't say your husband. I wonder if that's a sarcastic dig. I've given your, your brother some extra silver. Um, probably my mind, but I wonder. Either way, it was gracious of God to affirm Abraham's role of the prophet. It's gracious of God to answer his prayer. How gracious of God to restore the health of Abimelech's household and to grant him more children. And I'm reminded God's people don't have to be perfect to receive his favor, his protecting provision, above all, redemption. James tells us he gives grace to the humble. We're told he gives greater grace than our sin. We need to admit our need. We need to come broken and repentant to him and we can find that great grace. We can be arrested by this amazing grace that we sung about. What are some lessons for our journey? Because Abraham's story, again, is our story. Abraham returned to this habit of lying and deception as he tried to solve problems on his own rather than trusting God. And I think each of us has what I call a go-to response. A sinful response that's difficult for us to overcome, especially when we're stressed, maybe feel attacked. And oftentimes this go-to response, if we're not careful, can lead to compromise of character, to faulty assumptions. We've got to be careful about going back to that. Then it becomes a habit. Then it becomes, we become in bondage to it. It can come out in many ways. Um, my mom likes to joke, when I was younger, sometimes she'd take us to a, like a pancake feed would kind of you know, raise money for the Boy Scouts. I don't know if you've ever been to those. And uh, Ma would tell a story. One time she took me and my friend Bill Young, and, uh, and so we go to this pancake feed, and they have sausage and pancakes and orange juice. It's a pretty simple uh, menu, but that was fine for us. And so my friend Bill and I, we, we had a, a competition. It was competitive. Who could eat the most? Mom says, and she doesn't joke, she said, when you hit 21 pancakes, Matt, with all them sausage, I dragged you out of there. I was so embarrassed. I was proud. 21 pancakes? 
That's impressive. And she said, you just kept going back and back and back and back. And finally, she said, I got to get out of here. They're going to start charging me or something. And uh, it's funny, though. It's funny if it's a pancake breakfast. It's not funny when it's our lives and we keep going back and back to that sin, that repeated sin, whatever it would be. And so here's three be carefuls we can get out of here. Be careful of letting your imagination paint scenarios which may not happen. And you probably know what I'm talking about. You have an upcoming meeting at work. You expect tension. And your mind goes, doesn't it? You begin to paint a scenario of how that meeting's going to go and how you're going to respond. So when you walk in that meeting, it's almost reality because you've already painted this, this picture. Your imagination's already run. It's coarse. we got to be careful we don't do that. Circumstances might look problematic, but your mind, my mind begins to go to work. And if we're not careful, what happens is we set an unnecessary temptation before us. Because as our imagination goes wild, we begin to suspect untrue things of people. Oh, Joe's going to say this. I know it. I know he's going to go down this road. i got to be ready for that. Now we begin to think negative things about Joe or Sally or whoever it is. And so we set the table for temptations we don't need to set. All because we let our imagination just run and run and run. Kind of like Abraham did. He thought this about these people. This is what's going to happen. Yet he didn't know that would happen. Reality is always your friend. It's always our friend. So seek it. Don't seek to avoid it. Don't rationalize your behavior. Run away from assumptions that are faulty. Don't make them your starting point. Don't make them your decision guide. Deal in reality. Be very careful when your imagination starts painting scenarios which may not happen. Another, be careful. Be careful of flirting with your weakness. We've kind of run into this before when we talked about the moral pollution, the sewer. It's so easy to go swimming in. We might say, well, I didn't actually dive into it. I was just kind of on the edges. But you know your weaknesses, and your weaknesses might not be my weaknesses, but don't flirt with them. If you have an alcohol problem, don't rent an apartment above a bar. You're flirting with a weakness. If you tend to eat to make yourself feel better, don't stock up on snacks. Not a wise thing. You're flirting with a weakness. If you're prone to lust, put a filter on your computer. Get an accountability partner. Maybe get rid of the computer. If it's the TV, do something drastic. Don't flirt with your weaknesses. There should be a healthy fear of our vulnerabilities. And when there's a healthy fear, we can walk more faithfully. Be careful of flirting with your weaknesses. Number three, be careful of leaning on your own understanding. Abraham had a good mind. It's just he put it to work in an unhealthy way. You and I can put our minds to work to create a whole number of ideas to solve our dilemmas. A whole sl uh, list of ideas to help you and I to avoid depending upon God. We put our minds to work in unhealthy ways. And instead of leaning on God's understanding, we begin to lean on our own understanding and our own ingenuity to come up and solve our problems. 
facing the possibility we might not get our way, we take matters into our own hands. Arrange your own satisfaction, we try to do. Those ways then become a habit. Abraham leaned on his own understanding, and it created the very problems he was trying to avoid. So be careful. Your mom and dad were probably a lot like mine, and going out the door, and they would always say, hey, Matt, be careful. I'm like, why would you say that? Do you think I'm actually going to go out and be dangerous? I mean, why would you say be careful? Of course I'm going to be careful. But they knew, no, not necessarily. We want you to be mindful of the fact that there's other options than being careful. We desire and we hope that you'll choose to be careful. You and I have a choice every day, whether we're going to be careful with our walk with God, whether we're going to be careful about our testimony, or whether we'll be careless. Abraham, unfortunately, fell into an old pattern, and it resulted in careless behavior. Don't let that happen. Be careful as a Christian how you walk. Be careful about your testimony. Instead of falling back on repeated behaviors, fall into Christ. Call upon him for his strength. And then only then can you and I really be careful about our Christian walk. Let's pray. Father, I know, having gone through this story, how, how doggone relevant it is. I look at Abraham and I see so much of me. And that makes me uncomfortable. And maybe I'm not alone. I pray for my brothers and sisters. Please help us to be careful, to value our walk with you, to not overestimate our abilities to handle what life sends our way. In those moments that we're tempted to turn back to those repeated behaviors that have become crutches, in those moments, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd cause us to turn to you, you cause us to take a road that's a healthy road. That's a road that leads towards you and blessing. We know it's not easy to do. And so we call upon you. And we thank you that your grace is greater than all our failures. And that your grace is greater than all the hurdles and circumstances in our life. And so we turn to you. And we lean upon you, God to help us in these days ahead. It's your name, Jesus, we do pray. Amen.